Hi everyone, welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, One Step Ahead, Protecting Your Employees and Environment from Spills, sponsored by Brady Corporation. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Joe Maslin. Joe has worked for Brady Corporation for five years, including covering nine states in the upper Midwest as an SPC regional sales manager since 2014. Joe works to support customers in their efforts to minimize and eliminate slip, trips, and fall hazards, as well as improve their facility SPCC programs with the use of SPCC products. Again, we thank all of you for tuning in to this presentation. Joe, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Perfect. Thank you, Kevin. Hello, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to, uh, to join us today. Um, as Kevin mentioned, we're going to be talking one step ahead, protecting your employees and environment from spills. So let's, uh, let's dive in and get, uh, and get going here. Quick run through of our agenda and what's going to be covered today. We're going to start with the basics of what we are discussing today, slips, trips, and falls. And we'll begin by defining each of them, covering the regulations surrounding them, and what three implications associated with these hazards have in industrial facilities. We'll then transition to covering some of the common causes, moving towards a culture of prevention around slips, trips, and falls, and then finally tying in the absorbent connection, how SPC absorbent products can be used to help mitigate these, uh, these risks of slips, trips, and falls in your facility. All right, so let's break these down with the basics. We will start by defining each of these terms, like I said. First, a slip is when there is too little friction or traction between feet and the ground surface, resulting in a loss of balance. Next, a trip is when a foot or lower leg hits an object and the upper body continues to move, or when stepping down to a lower surface, resulting in a loss of balance. And finally, a fall is when too far off center or off balance, resulting in a deep in a descent to the floor into or against an object or to a surface at a lower level than the original surface. So those are obviously real basic, real low level, real rudimentary. So now let's, uh, now that we have these defined, let's go ahead and move to the regulations surrounding them. The OSHA standard that supports worker safety by keeping workplaces clean and safe from hazards is 29 CFR 1910.22. This includes keeping facilities clean, orderly, and dry, 
providing draining platforms, mats, or other dry standing places when wet processes are used, keeping floors and workplaces free from protruding nails, splinters, holes, and loose boards, keeping aisles clean and in good repair, permanently marking aisles and passageways, using covers and guardrails to protect workers from open pits, tanks, vats, etc. And finally, marking loads with approved plates and maintaining safe load weights. Additionally, ANSI standard A1265.2-2012 provides for the slip resistance on walking and working surfaces. This standard sets forth provisions for protecting persons where there is potential for slips and falls as a result of surface characteristics or conditions. It requires that first, consideration of the use of slip-resistant footwear to maximize traction. Second, that mats and runners should be used in areas where individuals may encounter slippery contaminants or foreign materials on floor surfaces. And third, a housekeeping program including cleaning and maintenance procedures to maintain safe walking surfaces. Warnings should also be provided where a slip or fall hazard has been identified. One small drip or even a misplaced tool can lead to a serious injury not to mention citations, costs, and the overall impact of running an industrial facility. As I mentioned before, there are three implications slip, trip, and fall hazards can have on, on an industrial facility. Let's explore those areas an incident can have an impact on. The areas that they could have an impact on are financial, productivity, and of course, safety, which is where we will start. We start with safety because it is the, is the number one concern surrounding slip, trip, and fall hazards. They account for a majority of an industry accidents, regardless of their severity, from minor pain to disability and even, met, and even met, death. Excuse me. They account for 8.9 million emergency room visits annually, one of the leading causes of unintentional injuries. They also account for 15% of accidental deaths, second leading cause behind motor vehicles. And finally, they lead to 17% of all disabling occupational injuries. All of this, which could be prevented with the correct precautions in place. From a productivity standpoint, these hazards lead to one in six lost time injuries, 95 million workdays per year are lost, and result in an average of 11 days away from work following an incident. And finally, the financial aspect. When a slip, trip, or fall happens, it has the potential to lead to thousands of dollars in expenses for both employers and employees. Productivity is lost, insurance, premium, insurance premiums rise, workers lose wages due to out-of-work days, and there are costs associated with training replacement employees, and of course, the regu regulatory fines for these incidents. Slips, trips, and falls cost an average of $20,000 per incident. Now that we've defined these hazards and are more familiar with the regulations surrounding them and the implications they have, we are going to begin to transition to a more preventative state. We will start by identifying what causes these types of hazards have. Now, of course, the majority of workplaces make an effort to reduce slips, trips, and falls, 
but a small percentage, only 2.2% of facilities, have completely eliminated them. A survey of over 1,200 safety professionals cited one of three main causes as the majority cause of slips, trips, and falls incidents. They are human factors, wet and slippery services, and finally, housekeeping issues. Let's dive into those in a little more depth. On the screen now is a list of common causes and potential hazards. Take a second and think about your facility, the areas that could lead to a slip, trip, or fall. Consider the items on the list in front of you. Maybe it's near machinery. Maybe it's in the break room. Do you have a cluttered hallway? even going outside the facility in the parking lot. The point being that there are a variety of potential sources for a slip, trip, or fall hazard. Anyone can make a mistake. Some incidents may be the result of an employer mistake and others are the result of an employee's mistake. Take another minute and review some of these common mistakes listed on the screen. Some belonging to the employer and some resting with the employee. All right, now I want you to keep picturing your facility and let's run through some steps that can be taken to transition to a more preventative spill prevention control and countermeasure program. Here are 10 steps that can be taken in your facility to reduce the potential of slip, trip and fall hazards. First, before we get into the more detailed ones, let's assess your workplace. Keep picturing it and picture those hazardous areas in particular. Start with the areas you were picturing before. What contributed to those risks and hazards? Refer back to how slips, trips, and falls were defined earlier. This, of course, is very broad and will be unique to each individual facility. The next eight are more specific, and I'll be emphasizing two in particular as we will be transitioning next to the absorbent connection. After you've assessed your facility, you'll first want to mark and be sure that all, all aisles and passageways are marked clearly. Then you will provide traction on slippery surfaces and this is one that I want to one of the ones I want to emphasize because of how absorbance can come into play. Keeping one's feet firmly on the floor means having effective traction and taking the right steps to eliminate slippery surfaces. Make sure floors are clean and dry wherever possible. Stairs, landing areas, and slip areas have, have anti-slip tape or material on them that will withstand grease and oil. Finally, that the right floor materials are used in the right areas based on the slip hazards present. That means using mats, absorbance, and anti-slip flooring when needed. Next, think about stairways and improving stair safety. Anti-slip tape, again, can be used in these areas. Mark evacuation routes and ensure that 
the evacuation routes are also posted around the facility and the employees are effectively trained on these evacuation routes in the event of an incident. Post safety signs and labels around the facility, which can shed light on potential hazards that employees can be aware of. Warn of temporary hazards. Inspect scaffolds and ladders. Another one that I want to speak a little bit more at length on is the next one, number nine, control and clean oils and spills. Now, leaks, drips, and spills are common occurrences in almost every workplace. When facing oversprays that coat surfaces, slow drips from a machine, or spilled cleaning fluid, a process for detecting, assessing, and correcting all of these spills is critical. Having the correct absorbent on hand for the hazards present can assist with responding to spills more quickly and more effectively. Finally, you'll want to train your employees on the steps that have been taken and how to take a more preventative approach to keep hazards from arising by controlling spills, familiarizing themselves with evacuation routes, regular inspection of ladders, etc. Now let's make the absorbent connection I referenced before. Absorbent products come in a wide variety of configurations, and each of those are ideal for unique applications. I'll first propose a couple of questions for you to consider, and then we'll wrap with a virtual walkthrough of an industrial facility. But before we dive into that, I wanted to speak briefly on a couple of the different product configurations that absorbents come in. Absorbents come in pads, rolls, socks, and pillows as well as in spill kits filled with additional personal protective equipment. They come with a varying level of durability depending on how much foot traffic they are exposed to. They also come with varying levels of absorbency. Finally, they come in several different colors, and those different colors will indicate different applications in which they are to be used. The vast majority of absorbent products are going to be gray, indicating that they are uni for all universal applications, meaning that they can absorb anything ranging from water-based fluid to oil-based fluid and even hazardous materials such as acids or bases. White absorbent products indicate that they are oil-only or hydrophobic and in fact will repel water will float indefinitely on the surface of water and also will absorb only oil-based fluid. And then lastly, there are brightly colored absorbent products, everything from green to yellow and lots of other colors in between. Those are designed to absorb hazardous materials, the acids and bases that I mentioned before. They are universal in their absorbency, but they help with the disposal stream and to draw awareness to the fact that the fluids that they have absorbed are hazardous in nature and employees should use precaution when proceeding and interacting with them and disposing of them. So now that we've really high level covered a couple of the different absorbent configurations and product categories, 
let's go on a virtual walkthrough of our facility. There are best practices around how to use absorbance and most effectively in one's facility in, in an effort to reduce slips, trips, and falls. Special areas to consider are how one's employees are affected and using absorbance in areas with low lighting. Consider a couple of questions here, thinking about your aisles and walkways. Are your aisles and walkways protected? How much foot traffic are these walkways exposed to? If the foot traffic is significant, how durable does an absorbent product in this area need to be to withstand regular foot traffic? Mats and rugs can be used, for instance, as opposed to standard absorbent rolls mats and rugs being more durable and more resistant, more resistant to foot traffic. Many industrial facilities have gray flooring and many absorbent pads and rolls are also made in gray like I mentioned before. High visibility absorbents like the ones you see on the screen in front of you stand out which increase awareness of errant spills present in a work area. Their bright coloring draws extra added attention to them, and they're universal in their absorbency qualities, making them ideal for anything both water-based, oil-based, as well as hazardous acids and bases. Additionally, the high visibility absorbent line also includes safety messaging on them. You see, you can probably see on the screen, the pictogram, which is the universal sign of slips, trips, and falls avoidance, this safety messaging helps to promote a culture of safety around the facility. When your employees see this pictogram and they see these products used around the facility, they will be more aware of the, the need to avoid slips, trips, and fall hazards. And now on to our virtual walkthrough of your facility. This is a schematic of a general manufacturing plant, and there are a couple of core areas we're going to talk about. Before even entering the plant, there is the exterior bulk storage. What is stored in these tanks, drums, or silos are typically flammable liquids, gases, oils, etc., and these cannot be stored inside the facility because of combustion risk, so they're stored externally. Oil-only products, the white ones, like the ones that SBC manufactures, because they're hydrophobic and because they will repel water, they can actually be stored outdoors. And so in these areas where the fluids being stored are typically oil-based in nature, they can be easily deployed and absorb any type of fluids coming off of these storage tanks. Because of that, if that makes sense for everyone, you don't have to worry about rain, you don't have to worry about the, product, the absorbent product itself becoming contaminated by being outdoors. Migrating into the, into the facility, you're also likely to see interior fluid storage. This is typically gonna come in the form of 55 gallon drums. These range from oil-based to water-based fluids and even some light acids and bases and things of that nature. Think back to the list of common causes I think the top item on that list was overspray. 
drum top covers, like the ones on the screen and the bottom of your screen right now, they're die cut to fit the top of a 55 gallon drum, complete with two punch out bunghole spots. These can be put on the top of those 55 gallon drums to prevent overspray from these points of fluid transfer from making their way onto the floors. Continuing our journey through our manufacturing facility, machinery is going to be what is most likely to leak within a facility as a result of the wear and tear that takes place during a manufacturing process. Think about pads and rolls here as well, which are the most common absorbent products used, but also products that help prevent leaks from making their way into walkways before they even reach the walkways. Pillows, for instance, another product configuration, which is at the bottom of your screen, are very similar construction to the pillows at your own home, built except it, instead of being filled with soft material that helps you go to sleep at, sleep at night, it's filled with absorbent product. You can wedge these pillows underneath a piece of machinery that is raised off of the floor to catch any leak coming off of that piece of machinery. The leak is then absorbed and contained before you can even have the chance to make its way into, an, into a walkway where an employee is working or walking. Socks are another product that can be used with machinery that is flush against the floor, as opposed to pillows which can be used with machinery that is raised off of the floor. Socks in their construction are very similar to sausages, believe it or not, filled with absorbent material in the form of a long tubular design that is about three inches in diameter. Again, when put around a piece of machinery that is flush against the floor, the socks will prevent leaks that come off the machinery from making their way into walk spaces where employees are present. Next, we go to shipping and receiving. And this area is really critical because as you can see on the screen in our schematic, you see openings to the environment in these areas. In this, instance, in this instance, it's a bay door, but it could also just be your basic employee entrance and exit ways. What you will want to think about in this area are spill kits, an example of which is at the bottom of the screen. These spill kits have absorbent materials, including pads or rolls, as well as socks and pillows, in addition to some uh, personal protective equipment. Putting these in these areas where entrances and exits outside of the facility are critical because they can be easily deployed in the event of a spill and will keep that spill from exiting the facility and reaching the outdoor environment. Finally, if you go to your production, assembly, and maintenance areas, this is where the majority of your employees are going to be working. You want to make sure you keep a safe environment for them so they can do their work safely and effectively. We mentioned before walk, I mentioned before walkways, something durable that can line the walkways so that any spills are captured and absorbed before affecting employees in these areas.
So just summarizing, I know we ran through a lot of, uh, a lot of things, and I will open it up and hopefully be able to answer almost every question that comes along. Um, the slip strips and falls, they have serious implications across your facility and, there has, and the hazards associated with them. The hazards, the implications could be financial, they could be related to productivity, and they could, of course, be related to safety of the employees. Safety really being the driving force here and your effort to protect your employees. Be familiar with the regulations, which I spelled out briefly earlier. Know the common mistakes that were listed above, that were listed previously. Think about your own facility and the hazards present, what could be done to mitigate and prevent some of those mistakes from becoming a hazard before they even happen. And consider using absorbance to your advantage in a preventative effort to guard against these incidents. So thank you everyone. We'll uh, we'll move to answering some of the uh, some of the questions now. All right, excellent. Uh, great job, Joe. Thank you for your your insights and expertise. Before we do start that Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And now we will get to some questions. First one, if I have spill kits, do I need pads and rolls as well? That's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I mentioned before, you know, each of these facilities, each of your facilities are going to be extremely unique in, uh, in the types of, of, in the types of, and types of hazards present and the types of mistakes that can happen and occur. Um, you don't necessarily need both. I think consider your own facility and how you can store spill kits, how you can store, how you can store absorbent products. The most critical piece of absorbent products is to keep those materials located in close proximity for easy deployment so that response is quick and effective and efficient. So if spill kits, spill kits are typically found to be most effective in those areas near the entrances and exit ways, like I mentioned before, but if it makes sense for your facility SPCC program to orient those in production and general facilities as well, then you can certainly use them in those areas because they're filled with, an, a, with a wide variety of different products ranging from socks and pillows to pads and rolls and even some of the personal protective equipment. So no, the answer is you do not necessarily need both, but best practices would say that pads and rolls and socks and pillows are good for, for some particular applications and spill kits are ideal for other applications, but it is not required that you have both, just that you have absorbent products located in the facility so that they, in places where they can be easily deployed and responded with. Okay. Next one is kind of the leads into what you do after the fact. Uh, what do I do with used absorbance is the question. Another, another, great, another great question. Um, so absorbance should be treated as whatever material it is they pick up. So let's say in a facility that the absorbent picks up hydraulic fluid. Um, the absorbent pad, sock, or roll then should be disposed of as if it's hydraulic fluid, for instance. If it picks up water, it can be disposed of as if it's water. 
Think about the waste streams in your facility how, and the different disposal streams. How are items like hydraulic fluid or used oil, how, is, how are things like that being disposed of currently in your facility? Whoever handles the disposal of those items already typically should be able to handle the disposal of, of saturated absorbent, absorbent pads and rolls. The best thing to do would be if you're going to begin using absorbents in your facility, in your facility, excuse me, uh, consider speaking with whoever handles your waste management or waste disposal um, and inform them of the fact that you're going to be bringing these into the facility, what's going to be, what they're going to be absorbing, and that you will be disposing of them accordingly. So in summary, treat saturated absorbent products as if it is whatever fluid it is absorbed in essence. Is there a regulation that states absorbent pads or rolls must be used? There is not, there's nothing from a regulatory standpoint that states that specifically absorbent pads and rolls must be used. Um, the regulations, I kind of ran through them briefly at the, at the beginning of the presentation. Those simply state that absorbent products should be used regardless of what form they come in. Um, there's a wide variety of other absorbent materials, absorbent products out there that can be used to prevent spills from making their way or affect, making their way to walkways or affecting employee safety, but nothing that spells out specifically that absorbent pads and rolls must be used. Uh, consider what you're using in your facility right now. Consider the cost saving, the cost associated with that, whatever absorbent material it is you're currently using. And you can certainly get in touch with SBC for instance, uh, to help walk through like what would be a best practice for your facility in particular. But no, there is not a regulation that states that absorbent pads and rolls must be used specifically. Okay, well, uh, looks like we've got a couple other related questions coming in, but for now we'll transition uh, to another topic. Are slip meters a good investment for a company's slips, trips, and falls program? If so, what meter is best to invest in? You know, there's certainly slip meters. There certainly are. Um, they certainly are a, uh, a something worth considering from an investment standpoint. Um, I can't make any recommendations as slip meters are not something that uh, not something that we that we have specifically. So I can't speak to uh, can't speak to that point. But um, and you would have to really consider uniquely what is best for uh, what is best for your facility and uh, in particular to uh, to help with help with mitigating those risks. So if using a slip meter is the best way to uh, is the best way to go about that, it certainly would be a worthwhile investment, but I do not think that slip meters, you know, it's not a blanket statement that slip meters are a great investment for all facilities, no. Uh, next one, where specifically in 1910.22 does it require permanent marking of aisles and passageways? Uh, I don't have the regulation necessarily right in front of me um, let me that might be that might have to be one that we can circle back on later and uh, and answer answer after the fact so uh, if we could keep a record of who asked that question we'll do our best to answer that one after that. all right getting getting back to absorbance as promised uh, are the sorbent colors mentioned universal between all brands yeah, that's typically standard across uh, across all manufacturers. Is that gray is going to indicate that 
the absorbent products are universal in nature. White is going to indicate that it is oil only and hydrophobic. And lastly, brightly colored ones typically fall into the chemical or hazardous material category. Um, that is universal across the, uh, across the absorbent manufacturing industry, correct? What do we need to train employees on regarding what do we need to train employees on regarding the new walking working services surfaces regulation? Uh, which I guess I'm confused which regulation in particular that one is. The the question that didn't would, that would be in yeah, it didn't spell it out. That would be one we'll have to do some research and, and get back to that individual who asked that question. Do the spent absorbent pads now become part of the waste accumulation? Yes, used absorbent pads, saturated ones, um, do become part of the waste accumulation. Now, what your waste provider is going to do, and this is oftentimes going to be going to be dictated by both you in conjunction with the uh, with the waste provider, um, is that some of them are going to be earmarked for landfill disposal, but oftentimes absorbent products of this nature, when saturated, are going to be disposed of through incineration so which obviously that's going to lead to a significant significant less amount of accumulation as these products are used but that is they are they are disposable and uh, and that is what they are that that is the route that they will go here for the um, he's we got a question it's now asking what's the package quantity for the barrel top absorbent uh, the barrel top absorbent typically is going to come uh, in a pack of 25. Uh, 25 of those drum top covers, if I'm understanding the question correctly, 25 drum top covers per box or per case. All right. Uh, next, could a company be sued if a trip happens or an accident happens? And what if this company does not have absorbance? Well, not being as it, not being a member of OSHA, I can't speak to uh, I, I can't speak to exactly what the process would be. Typically what I find when speaking with safety professionals and people in the, uh, and people who come across this sort of thing, um, if it's, uh, using absorbance um, is in line with the OSHA standard. Um, it's, part of the, uh, it's part of best practices that are put out there by OSHA and other regulatory agencies. Um, if they're not used or if proper, not necessarily just absorbance, but if proper, um, if proper steps have not been taken to ensure that the employee work areas are safe and devoid of slip, trip, and fall hazards, then uh, then certainly there is a chance that uh, that they could be sued. But you know, I'm not going to speak um, I'm not going to speak blanketly on uh, on that. But typically, the use of absorbance being present in the facility it demonstrates an effort by the organization that they are taking steps to prevent slip, trip, and fall hazards from happening. Um, I mentioned earlier. In some studies, only two point, it's, only, it's estimated that only 2.2% of industrial facilities have completely eliminated slip, trip, and fall hazard risks from being present. Um, it's a very tall order to, uh, to completely eliminate these types, of, uh, these types of hazards from coming up. Uh, but, take, but using absorbance and developing a program around the use of absorbance in the facility will both mitigate these risks, decrease the, uh, the likelihood of an incident like this from happening, um, and we'll also demonstrate if an issue does happen that the employer was making an effort to mitigate these risks to the best of their ability. 
Um, next one, are drum top covers required on all chemical barrels, or is it okay to use just the metal top that comes with the barrel? No, they're not required by any means. Um, they're not required by any means, just like none of the pads and rolls are required by the OSHA standard um, to be used on all chemical barrels. They're simply, a, uh, again, a best practice and help with the overspray. Uh, the big issue with, these, uh, with, those drum, with those drum tops is, of course, you're adding in another pump and there's some sort of fluid transfer from that primary container, primary container excuse me, to a secondary container of some kind. Um, and with that, uh, with that fluid transfer point, there's a high likelihood or a chance that overspray or a spill or a leak, residual leak from that pump may happen. Um, the drum top covers, they simply help to mitigate that risk and ensure that any fluid on the top of the, um, on the, top of the drum, on top of the barrel, is not going to make its way off of that and onto the floor, leaving a, leaving a slip hazard um, leaving a slip hazard there where an employee could unfortunately come come across. So they are not required, no, uh, but they are a uh, they are a good step to help prevent that overspray from making its way to the uh, to the floor. All right. Well, we know we we still have some time for for questions. We remind people um, you can submit those. There's the text box in the lower left hand corner of your screen. You click the button for submit question. Um, but we we still do have some time for those. Um, any you know I know you've been speaking to a lot, Joe, and, and been thorough. But anything that you uh, may have left unsaid or or thought um, you might want to cover and haven't. Um, you know that's a uh, let me let I let me think for a second on uh, on that. Um, you know. I, Again, something a message that I'm kind of hearing across from uh, from all of from a lot of these questions. We're talking a lot about about this from a regulatory standpoint. Um, there aren't there aren't any regulations that say specifically pads or rolls are required in any areas or have to be used in any particular areas. Um, I think the uh, the standards are are almost intentionally vague to say you know you can you can use whatever is best for your facility. Um, in some facilities, you know, in some facilities only pads may be needed, and some in some facilities, you know, they prefer to uh, to to use some sort some sort of sweeping compound or simply mop up a spill when it happens. It's really unique to each facility whether it's going to be more responsive or more preventative. The use of absorbent products, um, it is a best practice and is in line with the those practices set forth by OSHA to use absorbent materials. An example of absorbent materials are SPC products. So I would just say, remember, these aren't required, but they're a best practice step that can be taken to minimize the risks of slip, trip, and fall hazards from happening wherever possible. Okay. Well, it's, it sounds like we're getting, or looks like rather, we're getting more questions coming in. But also, we've got some folks with um, with the rule books in front of them. We, we were getting back to. Um, 1910-22, and we've, we thank you. We've got a couple of people writing in and um, quoting it. It says, all places of employment, passageways, storerooms, service rooms, and walking, working surfaces are kept in a clean, orderly, and sanitary condition. That's one okay. contribution on that. Thank you for those who were able to uh, to get off screen. I'm looking at the question list, so wasn't able to go find that, but thank you for those who are, uh, who are pulling that up. Okay, now, do you have uh, recommendations of incident review best practice to help identify slip, trip, and fall trends to help predict or prevent future incidents? Uh, no, I, unfortunately, I can't answer anything blanketly 
like that as far as a review. I would say that, um, you know, one something that SBC certainly offers is, um, is a no-cost assessment to, uh, to come into your facility and review best practices, review hazardous areas um, that, uh, that may be present in a facility to come in and evaluate those on a one-off basis. But um, those would need to be considered individually and, uh, and uniquely, other than specific applications like the drum top covers that we've spoken at length about, uh, machinery areas using pillows and socks, for instance. Um, beyond that, anything much more specific than that would have to be uh, have to be treated as and addressed on a one-off basis. What are your thoughts about absorbent powers, which in, encapsulate liquid hazardous waste? Absorbent pow power. Oh, absorbent powders. I'm guessing that was uh, that was supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. Um, so absorbent absorbent powders like the granular product. Uh, that encapsulate liquid hazardous waste. Um, those, there's typically a higher cost in the long run associated with those. Um, SBC certainly has some in our uh, in our offering. I don't want to talk too specifically about uh, SBC products, but just speaking high level about the uh, about most granular products that are uh, that are out there. Um, when OSHA states that an absorbent material of some kind should be used to mitigate spills. Um, these granular or powder products certainly are an option in that category. Um, when you consider the cost of them, um, some of the costs associated with the use of absorbent products is not just bringing the product into the facility. So the cost per bag of a granular product versus a cost per case of pads or rolls, for instance, uh, but also the cost on the back end. There's a cost for disposing of this stuff, of course, as, uh, of course as well. Um, a lot of the cost on the back end of the disposal is associated with the weight. Um, pads and rolls have a higher absorbency ratio, which means that they're going to absorb more fluid per, per pound than powders and granular type products, which are typically going to have a one-to-one -one type of absorbency ratio. So you can pick up a lot more fluid with a lot less product using pads and rolls, which will save you money on the back end. Conversely, granular products having a lower absorbency ratio is not going to pick it pick up as much, so it weighs more going out on the uh, going out on the back end as well. It's also easier and uh, it's also easier and cleaner to deploy uh, pads and rolls or products from spill kits across a, across a spill than it is to uh, to use a bunch of granular product. Um, a uh, an analogy that I typically use is think about your think about your kitchen at home. If you spilled water on the countertop, Sure, you could reach into the pantry, grab a handful of flour, throw it on the countertop. It will pick up the water, and then you could sweep it up and throw it away. Or you could reach over, grab a paper towel, quickly wipe up the spill, dispose of it, and you haven't wasted a bunch. You know, you haven't wasted an unnecessary amount of flour or something like that in your pantry, and you've you've addressed it quickly. You, it was easily deployable, and you were able to move on to uh, move on to something else. So it saves time, time and efficiency as well from an employee standpoint. Using the hierarchy of controls, what steps do you recommend taking after absorbents have been used in a leaky area, such as machinery that occasionally leaks? I guess I'm a little, when, when you say by using, that might be, I'm a little confused by this question. What steps do you recommend taking after absorbents have been used in a leaky area? Um, I'm guessing if I'm, if I'm interpreting this correctly, um, just like what steps to be taken after a used absorbent, like what do you do with it after the fact. Um, having disposal areas earmarked in specific areas where absorbents are going to be used is the best practice. Again, you'll have to control the, uh, 
you have to control for the waste streams. So speaking about you know, the machinery in particular, of course, what's going to be coming off that oftentimes is hydraulic, hydraulic fluids, for instance. Um, having disposal areas nearby, so whether it be one of those small red disposal drums or a trash can earmark for the disposal of absorbent products or a disposal drum, disposal 55, disposal, disposed 55-gallon drum being used, whatever it is, um, I would say having those nearby and in close proximity would be a best practice to uh, to take care of those after the fact. Is there a difference in colors of absorbent materials used to warn and the colors that identify materials? Uh, is there a difference in the colors of absorbent materials used to warn and the colors that identify materials? Um, I guess so. Just speaking about the colors again, I'll just review this and hopefully this will answer the question. Um, the gray universal products indicate that they're universal in nature. The white oil only products indica indicate that they're hydrophobic and will repel water absorbing oil. Um, I think where the confusion is, is when it comes to the high visibility, the brightly colored yellow, uh, yellow, green, whatever the case may be, that is earmarked for hazardous material, for instance, uh, versus that of what I spoke to back on slide 18. If I can, Kevin, can I, advance, can I go back to that slide quickly? Yes, uh, slide 18, you said? Yeah, here, I'll go, I'll pull that up here. So I think this is what caused the confusion are these uh, the high visibility ones. Um, because these are yellow, they do fall into the chemical hazardous material category, but they're kind of outside of that. Um, SBC, for instance, we do manufacture just a, just a blank uh, with no, none of the, uh, the safety imaging on it. They do have, we do have that, just a plain yellow pad, roll, pillow offering. Um, however, these uh, with that safety messaging contained on it, um, that's more to facilitate the uh, the culture of safety awareness around the facility. So I understand how that might be confusing, how they're both yellow. It shouldn't be ones with safety messaging on them be used specifically for hazardous materials and chemical spills, but um, that's just one thing. Is it, That's something that we considered when it coming out with these products is, uh, is, you know, what category do we put them in? But I think that there's a space for them, and it really does help with, promoting the culture of safety around the facility. Uh, do you have absorbents designed for vomit or blood spills? Uh, yeah, actually, um, any of the uh, any of the granular products as well as the uh, as well as the for vomit, I would say probably something like the uh, the hazardous or chemical material categories that people know that you know this is something that's hazardous in nature. Um, it's not something that somebody just wants to come into contact with. Um, but the but those fluid but those fluids are obviously those are going to be mostly water based um, and so anything ranging from the gray uh, pretty much anything except for the white oil only products could be used for vomit or blood spills. We've got a got an attendee um, pointing out the the STF advancing your safety program that's offered by Brady. But um, in addition to that, was asking what additional resources such as checklists would you recommend? Well, uh, Brady does have a number of, uh, Brady does have some options and some resources as far as, uh, as far as checklists goes that, uh, that people can walk through. Uh, we have one called the Slips, Trips, and Falls Guidebook. 
which focuses on advancing your safety program. Um, this does have a, uh, it walks step by step and you'll see a lot of overlap with, uh, with the presentation that was, uh, that was discussed today. Um, it does offer a prevention checklist and, uh, and definitely would, uh, would be worthwhile walking through one of these preset checklists. And uh, if, I'm not sure I could direct you to that web page right now, but maybe that could be something that we, uh, that we look into distributing after the fact. What are your thoughts on reusable absorbent mats, um, such as ones laundered off-site? Yeah, so the reusable absorbents, they, uh, there certainly there are a number of, uh, of options out there when it comes to, when it comes to these sorts of products. Um, some of the concerns that I have around that are, it typically has to do with the um, cross-contamination of, uh, cross-contamination of, um, of fluids, you know, going from one facility to another, for instance. Um, you, uh, you may come, you know, there's no guarantee that one coming in, one, one laundered pad or roll coming into your facility hasn't been used in another, in another facility, for instance. Um, the towels and rags, laundered products, things like that are, are, those tested are typically five times dirtier than the disposable absorbent products. Um, metals are detected much more often on these laundered products, resulting in higher employees to resulting in higher employee exposure. And a lot of those heavy metals, such as mercury or lead, um, have been found on towels, and they exceed the health-based exposure criteria set forth by the uh, by the EPA. We haven't talked much about the EPA today, but um, but it's typically those cross contaminants um, and uh, and some of those safety concerns that I just mentioned. Not to mention, I won't go too far down this road, but um, there is there are some environmental effects as well. Uh, for instance, you know, obviously everyone thinks you're disposing of it into disposing of one of the SPC absorbents, for instance, into a landfill. Conversely, it takes thousands of tons of water to wash out wash the chemicals and the fluids out of these laundered products. Um, they also require more frequent washing because the absorbency levels decline with each use, whereas you take an SPC raw new unused product out of the package and it's going to work uh, it's going to work at peak performance every uh, every time. Do any of the absorbents also neutralize the product to make it safe to dispose of in the garbage? Uh, no, none of the products that we've covered today, uh, we don't have anything that, so for an acid, for instance, we don't have anything that will both neutralize the acid um, in a pad and then also have it, uh, have it easily be disposed of. SPC in our offering, we do have both acid and base neutralizers. Um, those can be spread across one of those fluids uh, to neutralize the product. It's it's, it's granular and fine in nature, uh, but it's not going, and it will actually change color when the fluid has been neutralized. Uh, but there's no pads, for instance, that, uh, that have the ability to both neutralize the product and absorb it. You'd have to use a neutralizer first and then an absorbent pad or roll after the fact. How do you get oil residue off a floor once the spill has been absorbed? Uh, just cleaning the floor, cleaning the floor after the fact, that could be with a mop. Typically, a mop isn't going to be able to completely clean up. If it's a larger spill, for instance, it's not going to be able to completely pick up the, uh, the spill that has happened. But cleaning it after the fact uh, or putting another pad down, for instance, and rubbing it on the floor should pick up any of the, uh, any of the oil residue 
left behind from the uh, from the spill. So just using a little bit more product or going through another step, whatever makes the most sense for uh, for your facility, um, is going to be the uh, the best way to remove that remaining oily residue. This looks to be our last question. Um, what is the average lifespan of absorbent pillows? Um, it's tough to say the average of the average lifespan. They they definitely um, they have the greatest uh, the greatest amount of um, of you know absorbency per square inch because of the fact that uh, it, because of the fact that they they can just hold so much product because they're not just a flat pad but they're they're a raised pillow so there's just more absorbent capacity per square inch in them um, but that's the lifespan of them it's all going to depend on the leak that is uh that is that they are set that they are uh that they are preventing an or that not that they are preventing but the the leak that they are picking up and uh and becoming saturated with how steady that leak is how heavy the flow from that leak is um so the average lifespan it's going to be higher than just your typical pet than your typical pad and roll because being placed underneath machinery and equipment it's not going to be going to be exposed to foot traffic so you don't have to worry about it from a durability standpoint but the lifespan it's going to be contingent on how much fluid is coming out of that leak and how quickly they become saturated. Okay, Joe. Well, no, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. And again, we thank everyone for sending those questions in a little bit ago. I know it definitely kept the the dialogue going. Um, if anything would spring to mind, but you know, before you know, we're going to be winding up, but uh, any unanswered questions will again be forwarded to our presenter. Um, just push that evaluation survey back to the front a moment ago, but once again, we hope you take the time to fill out that survey and uh, give us your feedback. And with that, we'll end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Joe Maslin, everyone at Brady Corporation, and all of you who listened in. Um, thank you, and have a great day. Thank you, everyone.